Welcome to Astounding Stories of Space and Time. I'm Mardell, and our final story for this season is Time Snatcher by Randall Garrett. We're in a hell of a jam, Breck, the counselor said. If Saganer isn't stopped, he'll change history. The situation's desperate. Time patrolman Breck Halliday nodded in agreement. It was a tense situation. Time travel, he knew, was possible only so long as the traveler into the past did nothing that would change history significantly. The time stream itself would straighten out little changes in the past so that overall history would remain the same. But, a big change was something else again. If you stick your finger in a river, there are a few ripples around it, but the flow of water remains the same. If you build a dam, though... When is he? Breck asked. Do we know? Fortunately, yes. He forced one of our operators to use one of the chronokinetic projectors and then kidnapped her and took her with him. But he didn't know that the power drain was measurable and had been recorded on the meters. We know how much energy he used, so we know how far into the past he went. We've got him pinpointed in the area of the old United States, somewhere between 1880 and 1895. Who was the girl he kidnapped? Breck asked. The counselor smiled apologetically. Dory Clayton. The muscles of Halliday's jaw tightened. I see, he said stiffly. When do I leave? We'll prepare you immediately. It's going to be a touchy job to get both of them out of there, so watch yourself. Don't worry, Halliday said quietly. I'll manage it. He walked out, eyes hot with rage, thinking of Dory and Saganer's clutches. His hands slowly clenched and unclenched as he headed down the long hall. A time patrolman's first step in any excursion to the past is to learn the language and the history so well that he can pass as a native. For three days, Breck Halliday lay in the padded tank of a hypno-robot while information was poured into him. Then he was given his clothes. They consisted of a pair of high-heeled boots made of treated animal skin, a pair of tight trousers woven of blue-dyed vegetable fiber, a shirt of similar material, and a broad-brimmed hat. Other clothing and equipment went into a pack, and a money belt around Breck's waist carried gold coins that not even an expert could have told from the originals. The thing that Breck liked best was the fact that he would be allowed to carry weapons openly. Some civilizations of the past didn't permit a citizen to carry guns, but where Breck was going, a man with a pair of six guns at his hips wouldn't look odd at all. Breck had ridden a horse three times, once in the Battle of Agincourt, once at Chickamauga, and once during a trip from Rome to Ravenna in the 6th century. His fourth horse was saddled 
a little differently, but he found it easy to handle. He trotted it onto the platform and signaled the operator. There was a brief hum as the chronokinetic projector warmed up. Then there was a sudden surge of power. Breck's surroundings seemed to vanish into grayness. Moments later, light swirled around him. Plata City, New Mexico, was enjoying a warm, lazy summer day. No one paid much attention to the stranger who came into town on a very ordinary-looking cayuse, pulled up before the Casa Loma saloon, and dismounted. He hitched his horse to the rail, looked up and down the street casually, and then strode into the saloon. "'What'll it be, mister?' asked the fat, mustachioed bartender. "'Whiskey,' Breck said, "'and a little cold beer to follow it. "'That road from El Paso is hot.' "'The barman filled the order. "'El Paso, eh? "'That's a right smart ride. "'Been on the road long? "'About a week. "'I don't believe in Russian nothing.' "'Hey, barkeep!' yelled someone down at the far end. The bartender went and Breck downed his whiskey. He sipped the beer reflectively, thinking long and hard. John Saganer had been convicted once for illegal use of a time machine and had been sentenced to ten years on Luna. Somehow he'd managed to escape and by bluff and daring actually to get control of a time patrol chronokinetic projector long enough to use it and kidnap the operator, Dory Clayton. It was bad enough to use the machine, Breck thought darkly, but to take Dory... Breck clenched his fist. For kidnapping Dory, Saginer would take his punishment from Breck, not the law. The first thing to do was find him. Reading the power flow of a chronokinetic projector, could only give an approximate location. Saginer had landed within 50 miles of this spot, and at some time within the past five years. But where was he now? And Breck asked himself, did he still have Dory with him? Five years is a long time. In the course of a year or two, Saginer could be a long way from Plata City. But Breck had a hunch that this was his goal. He didn't know he could be traced, and he wasn't prepared for travel. But suddenly a finger tapped his shoulder, and he whirled in surprise. He saw a man wearing a big silver star prominently on his vest. Stranger, you'll have to shuck them irons. City ordinance says a man can't carry pistols inside the city limits. I notice I ain't the only one with a full gun belt, Breck says slowly. The man's eyes narrowed. Them happens to be John Sager's men, mister. And they all happen to be deputies. His pistol came out suddenly. And I'm ordering you to take them off. Breck shrugged and unbuckled the belt. I ain't looking for an argument, he said, handing the gun belt to the sheriff. But as the sheriff reached for the belt, Breck lashed out with one hand, slapping the other's weapon aside. It skittered across the floor as Breck jerked one of his own guns from the belt and sent the sheriff reeling backward with a blow to the chest. 
Several of the other armed men started to reach for their hips, but Breck's icy voice stopped them short. First man to touch a gun gets lead. The sheriff's face grew red. You've got trouble, stranger. Maybe, but them guns is mine. You're trying to buck the law, said the sheriff. Breck grinned. It's a damn fool law that needs so many men to enforce it. If you is the only one packing irons, I might be persuaded to give them to the barkeep here. But as long as everybody's carrying full holsters, I reckon I don't want to be out of style. I'd look too conspicuous. Still holding his weapon, he buckled on his belt and walked over to where the sheriff's gun had fallen. Without taking his eyes off of anyone in the room, he squatted and picked it up. Then he walked back to the sheriff and shoved the six-gun into the lawman's holster. Don't aim to cause no trouble, sheriff. If you and the rest of these gents will oblige me, I'll ask the barkeep to set us all up a drink. There was a moment of silence. Then the sheriff grinned. Reckon I'll take a whiskey, he said. Brett grinned back and put his weapon in its sheath. It was almost a mistake. As soon as his hand was well away from the gun butt, one of the men at the bar snatched at his six-gun and brought it up to fire. No ordinary man, with ordinary guns, could have moved fast enough to do anything, but Breck was no ordinary man, and his weapons were far from ordinary. Both men and guns were the product of a science far in advance of the 19th century. Breck's hands blurred and his weapons seemed to leap from their holsters as the little robot mechanisms secreted in their butts responded to the electroneural commands of their owner. There was a roar of sound as one of the guns spoke. Then the gunman's weapon seemed to vanish from his hand. It sailed across the room, banged against a wall, and dropped to the floor. Breck had no compunction against killing a man, particularly in self-defense, but the death of one man might conceivably make radical changes in the future. As the echoes of the gunshot died away, the gunman howled with pain. The shock of Breck's bullet against the gun had sent needles of pain racing up his arm. The room was silent. Then the sheriff walked over to the gunman, who was massaging his aching numb fingers, and grabbed him by the shirt collar. He said softly, When I agree to take a drink with a man, I don't Take it lightly when one of my deputies tries to shoot him. I figured you wanted to take him after what he'd done, the man said sullenly. If I had, I'd have done it at my own gunslinging. He reached out and yanked the small metal star off the man's vest. You ain't deputy anymore, and if I catch you wearing guns, I'll run you in. Or shoot you, whichever's handiest. Still holding his injured hand, the man turned and walked out of the saloon. The sheriff turned around to Breck. That was mighty fast and accurate shooting, son. Would you say your name was? I didn't say yet, Breck said, reholstering his weapons. But as a matter of fact, 
It's Ed Calhoun. As I said, I don't want to cause no trouble, but I'm glad to oblige them that comes looking for it. He laid a $10 gold piece on the bar. Here's an eagle barkeep. Let's have them drinks. One of the other men at the bar looked quizzically at the sheriff. Sheriff, maybe you had not have done that to Cactus. How's the boss gonna take it? The sheriff looked at him for a moment, then he looked at the others. Let's get one thing straight here. John Sager's an important man hereabouts, and I don't deny it. He needs good gunslingers to guard his property, and I'm only too glad to deputize him. But by the almighty, if a man don't behave himself, if he ain't to be trusted with a gun, then he ain't gonna wear a badge as long as I'm sheriff. He turned to Breck. I got to uphold the law, son. I asked you to turn them guns in, and you wouldn't do it. I'm damned if I'm gonna try and take them away, so there's only one thing to do. He handed Breck the star that he had taken from Cactus. Hold up your right hand, he said. Half an hour later, Breck found himself sitting at a table, drinking beer and talking with the sheriff and a man named Chuck. He answered questions about his past. With the purely fictitious data that he'd received from the hypno-robot, but all the time his mind had been on the man who was an important man hereabouts. John Sager. Sager? Saginer? It could be the same man. Well, by the way, Sheriff, who is John Sager? Owns the bank, the sheriff said. Got property up on Chloride Flats, too. That's the Silver Mine District, you know. Bought out a couple of men who was failing in business and then put them to work managing their own stores for them. People around here have a right smart respect for them. Friendly sort of fella, eh? Well, I wouldn't go so far as to say that. He treats people well, gives money to the church and the school. Gives a man a job if he's down and out, but I wouldn't say he was a likable man, personally. He's odd, said Chuck. Real queer one. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say it because I work for him and he's done real proper by me, but, well, he's a funny one. Breck raised an eyebrow. Yeah? How? Well, for one thing, it seems so, well... Cold, like it was a sidewinder or a rattlesnake waiting for a pack rat to come by. He always seems to be figuring, calculating. He don't smile much, and when he does, it don't look right on him. That funny accent of his don't help none, the sheriff chimed in. It ain't that he can't speak good English, but it, it sounds funny the way he says it. Been here very long? Breck asked casually. About three years is all. Done right well by himself, considering he didn't have much when he came. Chuck said, After being robbed and all, it's a caution how we done so well. Then he laughed. That was downright funny. When you come to think of it. Yeah, the sheriff said, grinning. Him and his sister showed up one night. Naked as jaybirds, couple of owl hoots had robbed them and stripped them of everything they had. No horse, no clothes, no nothing. 
He was lucky. In a way, though, he had a money belt on him that he managed to hide in a mesquite bush while the bandits wasn't looking. I was sitting in my office that night when I heard a knock at the back door. I opened it, and there was John Sager, all dressed up in his birthday suit and nothing more. Of course, I didn't know who he was. Greg listened closely to the sheriff's story. It all fits in. Sagener hadn't had time to prepare himself for this era. His speech was strange, and his clothes even stranger. So he'd taken off his clothes and pretended to have been robbed. And his sister? What's his sister like? he asked. Pretty, Chuck said, but she's not too bright. Goes around in a daze most of the time. Hypnotized, Breck thought. That settled it. Twenty-four hours later, Breck had all the information he needed. Sagener had a double plot in mind, one which would both set him up permanently and, at the same time, eliminate any danger from the time patrol. Sagener knew, of course, where the great silver vein was at Chloride Flats. It wasn't due to be discovered until 1973. But if Sager found it, he'd not only be a rich man, he would so change history that the Time Patrol would be unable to reach him. He would divert the time stream radically by the discovery of such a vast amount of silver. Breck had presumably spent the night at the Murray Hotel, but he had actually slipped out of his room unseen and made an excursion on foot up Palo Alto Mountain to the big house Sager had erected there. It was tightly guarded. There would be no chance of getting in there without creating a major disturbance. Cautiously, he crept completely around the house, looking for a break in the guard network. There wasn't any. In order to get inside, he'd have to get himself invited in. But how? He returned to the hotel headed from there to the Castle Loma, and was sitting in the bar drinking a beer, mulling the problem over when Chuck came in. Ed, the slim man said softly, and I ain't really none of my business, but I thought you ought to know that Cactus is gunning for you. Thanks, Chuck, Brett said, as Chuck walked over to the other end of the bar, as if not wanting to be seen with Breck. It was easy to see what had happened. Cactus had told Sager, Saginer, what had happened in the bar yesterday, including, no doubt, the story about the blinding draw from the hip. Sager probably suspected that Breck was a time patrolman and had sent Cactus to shoot him. Breck moistened his lips, got up, dropped a coin on the bar, then he tipped his hat to Chuck, and pushed his way through the bat wings heading for Sager's bank. He knew the game. Sager didn't care whether Cactus got killed or not. What he wanted to do was watch Breck's gun work, which would give him away as a patrolman if he depended on the robot pistols. Breck would have to take a chance. He reached down and turned off the robot armament. All he had now was a pair of ordinary pistols. Overhead, the noonday sun was coming down strong and hard, and he began to sweat. 
Casually, he sauntered down the wide, unpaved street toward the bank. There were a few people strolling idly in the other direction. He moved up against the row of shops, looking in all directions. No sign of cactus, he frowned. Breck knew of cactus' fear of his lightning draw, and suspected that cactus would try an ambush. Breck glanced uneasily across the street, over at Bishop's livery, where a cowpoke was hitching his reins to the rail. It wasn't cactus. Then suddenly a gun spoke. Breck felt a hot bolt of lead blast its way into his arm, and he staggered dizzily. He glanced up as he struggled to regain his balance and saw gun smoke drifting out an open window in the second floor of Sager's bank. Cactus, he thought. He leapt back as another bullet raked the dirt near him. His left arm was warm with his own blood. The street was silent. Breck leaned against the cool glass of a shop window, waiting, holding his breath. In a few minutes, a head peered cautiously out the second-story window. Breck tugged at his gun. It seemed to take forever to get it out without the robot armament and fired once. A man tumbled out the window, bounced off the awning in front of the building, and dropped heavily to the ground. He lay still. Breck mopped the blood from his arm. His head was starting to swim with pain, and new worries assailed him. He had killed a man now. Would it change the past? Would he ever reach Dory again? He didn't know. All he knew was the blinding pain in his arm. He was in fairly good repair an hour later, though the arm still throbbed a bit. He'd taken it to a local doctor. Saganer would be suspicious if he'd used quick heel on it. He stood in front of the Murray Hotel, methodically packing his few belongings into his saddlebags. Chuck walked up. Ed, the boss, would like to see you. Sager. Sager, what does he want? Wants to apologize for what Cactus done. He fired Cactus as soon as he heard about the run-in with the sheriff, so he wants you to know he ain't responsible. Cactus had no business laying for you from that bank window. Breck shrugged. Might as well go, he said. I never figured Sager was behind it anyway. He headed to the bank. Sager was sitting behind his desk, flanked by a couple of his gunmen. He was a lean, long-nosed man with cold eyes and a narrow, thin-lipped mouth. You are Ed Calhoun? Breck nodded. I want you to know that I am sorry for what my ex-employee did. I do not like that sort of thing. Sager's speech was stiff and formal, Breck noted. I figured he was on his own, he said easily. I didn't know nothing you might have against me. There is nothing, I assure you, I understand. You are leaving Plata City. Yep, I'm heading for Arizona, cattle country. I'm a cowman by trade. You are also a very good man with a gun. I need men like you. How would you like to work for me? It had worked. Breck thought exultantly. Pretending to be about to leave town had removed all suspicion from Saganer's mind.
Well, I reckon I might stay if the pay was good, Breck said thoughtfully. Long as a man makes a living, it don't matter much what he does. I will make it well worth your while, Mr. Calhoun. Breck drew his breath in sharply, fighting the temptation to shoot Sager where he sat. It would eradicate one considerable blotch on the human race. But it would also involve killing others, and it still wouldn't get Dory out of that house. Reckon I'll listen to your proposition anyhow, Mr. Sager. It was three days before Breck was asked up to the house. He knew his time was running low. If Sager actually started mining operations on his property, his death or disappearance wouldn't stop it. Someone else would find the great silver vein, and the time stream would be unalterably diverted, causing incalculable change in the world of the future. Breck's opening was a lucky one. A prowler had been caught, a Mexican itinerant shot and killed by a guard. It had apparently scared Sager, who probably suspected the Mexican might have been a time patrolman, and so he had decided to increase the guard around his house. Breck was called from his bank duties and taken up Palo Alto Mountain to the Sager Mansion. His job was to patrol the grounds. That evening, as dusk fell, Breck strolled around the grounds going from one of the posted guards to another. Sam, it's me, Ed. Howdy, Ed. Seen anything? Not a thing, you... Nope, I think the boss is just jumpy. Breck poured tobacco into a cigarette paper, rolled it deftly, and put it in his mouth. Got a light, Sam? Sure. As the guard struck the match, Breck leaned forward to light his cigarette, and at the same time, he put his hand on the other's shoulder. Automatically, a little device in his palm, silently and painlessly, injected hypnotine into the man's bloodstream. After a moment, Breck said, How do you feel, Sam? Sam blinked slowly. Just fine. You'll do anything I tell you, won't you, Sam? Why, sure, Ed, whatever you say. Breck grinned savagely. You won't hear any noise from the house. No noise from the house, Sam agreed. No matter what happens, you won't hear anything out of the ordinary or see anything out of the ordinary. This will seem just like any other night to you. Under the influence of the drug, Sam nodded in agreement. And you won't remember what I just said. All you'll remember is that I bummed a light and went on. Again, Sam nodded. Well, so long, Sam. So long, Ed said Sam tonelessly. The same process, with variations, was repeated with the rest of the guards. When he was finished, Breck fired his gun into the air and strode boldly up to the front door he rapped. Who is there? asked a voice from within. Ed Calhoun, boss, we just killed another prowler. You want to take a look at him? A pause, then. Are you sure? He is dead. Bullet through his head, Breck said. What does he look like? 
ordinary might be an Indian. The door opened, and Sager stepped straight into a right uppercut, which bowled him back through the opening. Breck charged in after him, but the man lay limp, his eyes closed. Breck stood over him for a moment, debating what to do. Then he heard footsteps on the stairway. Dory. She stared at him, no recognition in her eyes. A chill of horror ran through him as he saw what Dory had become. Who are you? Her voice was dull and caring. He walked over to her and looked at her eyes. Burning fury rose in him. Using hypnotine, Saganer had made Dory only the shell of the girl he had loved. Who are you? she asked again. I do not know you. You once did, he said tightly. You. He felt a sudden blow on the back of his neck, and his knees sagged. Sager had been feigning unconsciousness, and now had returned to the struggle at a moment when Breck was unprepared. A fist smashed into his side, and he ducked away, blinking away the pain. He turned and advanced towards Sagener, while Dory moaned wordlessly in the corner. Sagener jumped forward and drove a fist toward Breck's jaw, but Breck countered and felt knuckles crash through the time jumper's teeth. As Sagener rocked, Breck hit him below the heart and he grunted and folded up. This time Breck made sure of the job. He continued pummeling Sagener's senseless body until he was out of breath and he strode up and looked at Dory. She was huddled, helplessly in a chair, sobbing in terror. Breck scowled as he remembered the girl he had once known and gave the unconscious form of Sagener another kick. Then he slid his gun out of his holster and pressed a button on the underside of the robot gun belt. The time scoop closed around the three of them. When the grayness cleared away, Breck stumbled out of the time scoop and saw the counselor waiting for him, smiling. He shook his head to clear it. Here I am, he said, and here's your time snatcher. Mission accomplished, sir. Very fine job, Breck, very fine. Brett looked at the counselor. There's one problem, though, the girl, Dory. He saw the counselor blink apprehensively. Oh, I brought her back all right, he said quickly, but she's been badly treated, sir. I don't know if the damage Saganer's done to her mind can ever be repaired. I. The counselor's eyes widened. What are you talking about, Breck? What has happened to Dory? I'm afraid I don't understand what you mean. Why, she's right here, unconscious in the back of the time scoop, Breck said, puzzled, and he turned to find the girl. Why, she isn't here. Of course not, said the counselor. She's been right here all the time. Where else should she be? Dimly, Breck began to realize what had happened. Some act of his. The shooting of Cactus, perhaps. It altered the future, his present, ever so slightly. Just enough so that in this present, Sagener had gone back alone, without Dory. A door opened and a girl stepped out, clad in a white lab smock. Her eyes were bright and clear, and when she saw Breck, she gave a little scream of joy. Then Breck folded her into his arms.
Please join me next season here on Astounding Stories of Space and Time. Until then, watch the skies. Thank you.